a couple of years ago, my wife and I, um, we had the privilege and my family, we got to go over to some friend's house and they, um, they treated us to an incredible meal. And um, as we're there, we're eating salsa, right? Now there's different kinds of salsa. I've been to Mexico, I've, I've experienced lots of salsas. And uh, this salsa that they prepared for us was incredible. I'm just loving it and this big vat of this stuff. And I asked them, where did you get the salsa? And uh, they, they're all, their li- eyes lit up. They were so excited to take us to their garden where they grew everything that was in their salsa. And when they took us back to the garden, um, it felt like we were going through Fort Knox um, because we all understand those white-tailed assassins that live in Northeast Ohio, right? Uh, they actually had, they had like multiple fences. There was a moat on the out, just kidding. Uh, but they, they had their defenses against the deer. They had their defenses against the rabbits. Um, they actually had the aerial, they were prepared for the aerial attack from the birds. And so we make it into their garden. And this thing was incredible. And they explained to us how they started the seedling in their basement with uh, uh, lights and lamps. And then they, they shared with us the process that they went through to get the harvest that was like, now, now if you went to Walmart and bought, bought that salsa that like, I'm not sure if any um, uh, vegetables actually gave their life for that. You know what I'm talking about? Like that's a different thing altogether. This thing, um, honestly, the first thought that went through my mind is they're never coming over to my house, right? That's what I was thinking. But, but um, the other thought that I had was this is incredible, right? They, they, they told us about how they picked the fruit or the, the plants that morning and they, 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 it was awesome, right? And this morning, one of the things that I have the privilege of talking with you about is the, the wrap-up of a series we've been talking about, about building, I'm going to use the language today, of growing healthy relationships. And, and we've said, like honestly, like relationships are hard. It's tough to help them to thrive. It's difficult to see them move on and to progress and to care for and protect them from the things that threaten them. And I know that in this room, some of you say, amen, Right? Because we recognize the challenges of relationships. But I also today want to join you in celebrating the fruit of relationships. And I want to talk with you a little bit. We're going to do a review of some of the themes that we've been talking through in this series. But I want to talk with you a little bit this morning about taking the initiative in relationship. I think for many of us, we want to be pursued. And maybe that's our insecurity. Maybe that's our fears. But we want others to see value in us and to pursue us. And I think that for some of us, if we're, if we're transparent, there's, there's kind of a couple of things that hinder us from really pursuing or seeking other individuals to have relationship with. I, I think for some of us, uh, if, we're, if we're honest, we're a bit of um, procrastinators. Anybody a procrastinator? Raise your hand if you're, a couple of you are like, I'll raise my hand tomorrow, right? I get it. Uh, I love, I love these, these statements about procrastination. Some of you live in the someday of relationships, right? Someday, uh, I won't sing the cats in the cradle song to you, but someday I'll get there. Um, the, uh, I love this, this one comedian who puts it this way. He says, I'm very busy doing things that I don't need to do in order to avoid doing anything I'm actually supposed to be doing, right? I, lo- I love that, that phrase. I'm not procrastinating. I'm proactively delaying the implementation of the energy intensive phase of the project until the enthusiasm factor is at its maximum effectiveness, all right? Um, um, some of you treat someday like it's a day of the week, right? Some of you put the pro in procrastination. I think that it's important for us to recognize that that temptation someday 
uh, is a lousy excuse. And, and I'm going to celebrate with you this morning that the God that I serve and worship and we praise uh, doesn't do that with us, right? That he does not procrastinate when it comes to pursuing us in relationship. I think there's another person that's here maybe when it comes to relationship and you're the reluctant investor, uh, maybe you've been to a timeshare presentation. Maybe you've experienced the high pressure and intensity of that. But you go into it saying, there's nothing that it could get me to purchase this, right? There's no way I'm going to invest this. This is too expensive. I, I've been hurt before. I've been disappointed at other times. And we keep people at a distance. And I celebrate. I'm so thankful this morning that that's not how the God that I worship and serve treats me. That his knowledge of me is perfect, and yet he still chooses to love me. We're going to look at a passage in the book of 1 John chapter 4. It's going to say this. It's going to say, because he first loved us. Do you understand that God's love for you and his knowledge of you is perfect, and yet he still chooses to pursue you intimately? I love these words from Tim Keller. This is worth like getting your phone out and taking a picture of this quote. It's so good. Tim Keller says this, and I find it to be so helpful. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting, but it's just, just superficial. He says, to be known and not loved is frankly many of our greatest fear, right? But to be fully known and truly loved is a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. We can take off the mask. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness. Somehow I've earned my blessing from God and it fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at me. I love that truth. I, I, like, like because he loves me, I can then be a person who chooses to love other people. God does not procrastinate. God is not confused by us. He loves us with all of our bumps and bruises. I love this simple truth that J.I. Packer says in his wonderful series, Knowing God. He says this, what matters most is not the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlines it is that he knows me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me, and there is no moment when his eye is off of me or his attention is distracted from me and no moment, therefore, when he, his care falters. This is momentous knowledge. There is unspeakable comfort in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good. That's how he feels about you, brothers and sisters. That's how God views you. He is not hesitant to invest in your life. I love the way that Packer continues to, to describe this. He says there's a tremendous relief in knowing that his love is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery now can disillusion him about me in the way I am so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. You know what that says? It says that his love for you is not based on your earning it, but it is agape love clothed in grace, meaning undeserved blessing and favor. I feel like we can just find ourselves in awe of his goodness, right? We can find ourselves in awe of his graciousness and his kindness, 
But what is supposed to happen when we experience that kind of love is it is supposed to cause a chain reaction in our life where we then are people who express love to others. The way that John puts it in 1 John chapter 4, turn with me, we're going to look at a few very meaningful verses. 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 12, you can summarize this, that we love because he first loved us. You're going to see the gospel in this, and you're going to see the authority and power of God's kindness as it moves us to righteousness. It says this in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. This, this, I want to stop there for a second. If you are a Christ follower, if you've received the love of Christ, it is going to have a tangible impact on the way that you interact with other people, on the way you spend your time at school, on the way that you interact with your coworkers, on the way that you deal with your boss, on the way that you interact with your spouse, your friends, your siblings. It's going to change things in your life. Jesus challenges us to understand this when he teaches us how to forgive and to relate to one another through his kindness and his forgiveness. John goes on to say in verse eight, anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest. It was tangible among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is the truth of the gospel, that he sent his son to seek and to save that which was lost. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In verse 10, it says this, In this love, not that we have loved, but that God has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or payment for our sins. I love verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, then it ought to show us how to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Some of us get troubled by that last word. Wait, a lot of people saw God. What he's saying here is no one has seen God completely. But if you've been loved by him, it will show itself in the way you live your life. Amen? Amen. It will show itself in the way that people interact with you. It will show itself in the way that your neighbors interact with you and the way your coworkers, we can go through this again. What I, what I see in this passage is a challenge to us. And I want to share one more last point in the series very briefly. And as I think God wants us to take the initiative. Um, do you guys like board games? Some of you like board games. I, I always say the same obnoxious thing. If you ever play a board game with me, uh, I say this to my daughters all the time. Are you emotionally prepared to lose? That's what I like to say. <laughs> it's very humble of me, isn't it? Right? So uh, I, uh, I will do that if you ever play a board game with me. And then I'll probably lose right after that. But um, some of you know that in chess, there's a term uh, for people who play chess well, not me, but it's to take the initiative. It's, it's actually intentionally pressing into attempt to control the pace of the game and to control the outcome of the game. I think that, that God is blessed when it comes to relationships when we're people who take the initiative. I contrast that with those of us who, when we're vulnerable, would say we want to be pursued. We want others to pursue us. And I think that in scripture, what we're challenged to understand here, when he says we love because he first loved us, we have been pursued, but the way we pursue others requires us to be people who cut past 
those things that might embarrass us or might be considered awkward, and to choose to be someone who pursues and invests and, and values other individuals. I think it's valuable for us to remember that we need to take the initiative in relationships. I thank the Lord that he shows us how. That God shows you and I how to take the initiative in relationships. In Matthew 20, 28, it says this, even as the son of man, that's Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, I see in that a deliberate pursuit. Um, and it's your and my privilege. It's our turn to pursue other people. We recognize that not all are going to receive our pursuit well. Um, in fact, I, I was with, um, with family this week, my wife's family, and And I just committed myself as we're going through this series that we are going to, I'm going to try to connect with each of my nephews, my my family members that I maybe haven't had meaningful conversation. I'm going to try to understand their story better. And so instead of just just having fun, I'm going to have fun by interacting with people. And so good questions, interaction, intentional pursuit. It didn't work all the time. To be honest, it, it didn't always go splendidly, but, but there were things that came out of that pursuit that I've never experienced. I've been a part of this family for 23 years now. And, and I look back on this and I, I look at this and I say, because I chose to deliberately pursue people that were valuable to me, there was fruit that came out of that interaction. I think that for some of us, we've, been, we've experienced hurt and discouragement and frustration or people have rejected the pursuit in our life enough that we build those calluses that keep us from being able to experience the potential of something new. You guys know this about Babe Ruth. We know his name because of the fact that he had 714 home runs. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? But few of us talk about the 4,000 strikes that he had to go through in order to get that, right? The percentages are incredible. He struck out by, on average, more than most because of the fact that he was willing to swing away. I challenge you, when it comes to past failure in relationships, that you don't allow that to define the future anemic aspects of your relationships or to allow your past hurts to cause the inhibit inhibition of of you to be willing to pursue new relationships. In his excellent book, Being the Best, Dennis Waitley has some interesting points about uh, relational, I said this earlier, relational procrastination, choosing to wait until the proverbial someday. Says this, Dennis Waitley um, says this, when you stop to think about it, there is no such thing as a future decision. This is the mindset of a procrastinator. You face only present decisions that will affect what will happen in the future. Procrastinators wait for just the right moment to decide. If you wait for the perfect moment, you'll become a security seeker who is running in place. This is the image. Going through the motions and just getting deeper and deeper in a rut. If I wait for every objection to be overcome, I will attempt nothing. Uh, There's some people who experience life that way. They They project the future, and in that process, by projecting the future, what they potentially compromise is the experience of a fruit-filled relationship. I love that image of the garden that I mentioned earlier, that it took intentional investment, pursuit, and creating the right environment for those those fruits and vegetables to thrive in so that they could, could yield and produce fruit. 
And I think for some of us, we give up a little bit early. We miss out on the potential of something before it's had its chance to ripen. And uh, some of you have heard the story of Winston Churchill when he was the British Prime Minister in the heat of World War II. Back in 1941, he was asked to speak at a commencement speech at Harrow School. And he stood up, and I think they were probably expecting him to share, like he was known for, a half an hour, meaningful, powerful message. And he said this about not giving up. He says this, this is his message. Never give in. Never give in. Never. 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 In nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in. Expect to convictions of honor and good sense. Never give in. And then he stood and he walked back to his seat and he sat down. That was his message. Never give in. Ne never stop. Never give up. Never, never retreat. Never shrink back. I think, brothers and sisters, it's wise for us to remember this morning that God has given us the privilege to pursue others. He expects us to move into the life of others like he chose to do in our lives. And I encourage you to consider doing that. We're going to buckle up now for a, a little bit of a review on the series that we've been talking about. I've loved this series and um, I'm excited to just go back. This will be very brief, but I want to draw out some of the points that we've talked about. The first Sunday that we talked about this Building Healthy Relationships series is to admit that well, you and I were designed and built for relationships. God is relational and he designed you and I to be relational as well. Um, you cannot um, ignore the research that's been done over the last two years. Harvard, many uh, great scientific reviews have been done to communicate that, surprise, people are lonely in America today. In fact, people are so incredibly lonely that it's been called a pandemic or an epidemic of loneliness. And the side effects are, are all around us and it's every age group has been infected by it. And I want to encourage you this morning as Christ has called us to be salt and light in a dark world, part of the privilege that we have is that we can share with people something that they desperately long for and need, and that is connection. We all agree that relationships can be tough, but I would remind you that I believe relationships are beautifully worth it. John 13, 35 says this, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you display, if you show, if you have love for one another. So, so the question I want to ask you this morning as we attempt to apply each of these points is, are you acting like it? Is your lifestyle communicating that you recognize that you're built for relationships and are you making the appropriate space and time for relationships to thrive and to flourish? Are you doing the things that protect those things? Are you allowing yourself to see the value of something that is valuable to God? Another topic that we talked about is simply the power of prioritizing people. Um, good relationships are the result of good priorities. When we prioritize relationships, we believe that they have the opportunity to grow. I love this phrase that Ruth said to her mother-in-law. She said this, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. She understood something that was important and that is she was committed to this relationship. Even one that, that there was the, a death of the husband that would have naturally separated these two. But because of their commitment to each other, 
They allowed their relationship to thrive. Some of you are making the wrong commitments when it comes to where you're prioritizing your relationships. I think the deepest relationships in your life, if you're a Christ follower, are going to come in intimate relationships with believers. I'm not saying disregard other relationships. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying to you is the intimacy that comes from being with another Christ follower that can spur you on to love and good deeds doesn't mean we always have to agree with each other 100%. But I believe that that is one of the incredible ways that we prioritize the things that God prioritizes. That's what Jesus modeled for us in his investment in his disciples is there's power that comes from prioritizing people. So if we did a time audit in your life, and we looked at what you're investing in, what is most valuable to you. Um, are you prioritizing people? Are you prioritizing other things that are temporary or not eternal? Another topic that we talked about is uh, peacemaking. Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, the Lord Jesus taught us this. He gave us a powerful image of the unforgiving servant. And there's a warning that's associated with us being people who are not forgiving or that misunderstand what it means to be people who are peacemakers. A peacemaker can turn a normal relationship into something amazing. And I believe a peacemaker understands the power of reconciliation and forgiveness. Uh, many of you have commented on Romans 12, 18 being a verse that has helped you in your life. That that this description, live at peace with everyone as long as it is up to you. I, I love, a, there's a wonderful book that's been impactful for me. It's called Peacemakers by Ken Sandy. And in that book, he tells a great story of a, a man who came up to him. He's a pastor. And after a church service, uh, a man came up to him and he said, I hate my neighbor. So he said, he said I, I despise my neighbor. And he described the events of a kind of a border war that had happened in their backyard. And he went on to describe how he hates this neighbor's uh, tropical fish that she has. Isn't that funny? Uh, and he, so he describes all his frustrations to the pastor. I don't know if it was confession or what it was, right? But he expressed his frustration with this woman who lived behind his home. Well, there, the Ken just committed himself, the pastor committed himself to just praying for the guy, and they met a couple of times, and he's just praying that there'd be a change of heart in his life. Well, there happened to be a story, a storm that had happened in their community, and the storm ended up uh, taking out the electricity of her row of homes the, the, the behind his house, but he happened to have electricity, and he admitted that he was pretty excited about that at the start. In fact, he actually admitted, I, I hope our fish die. That's what he said. Isn't that terrible? Yeah, you seem to be like, hey, he's evil. None of you have ever thought anything like that, right? Some of you are thinking it right now. Uh, so, so, he, she, um, so she's in the dark, no electricity. He's thinking about her fish. And then I think he had some quote from the pastor from Ken to encourage him. And he just decided, all right, I'm going to do something about it. So he gathered his extension cords in the house and he plugs in um, to his, his electricity that's still working. It's lightning, storms happening, rain's coming down. He walks back to her back porch, knocks on the door. She opens the door. She sees what he's there for. She interprets it correctly. And then her electricity comes on right, in the moment. But, but he said that from there on out, there was a change in their relationship, that he was a peacemaker. And it took humility and it took a lot of things, right? I think that that's something that Jesus, when he says to us, blessed are the peacemakers, that as a Christ follower, when you've been forgiven, when someone has pursued you, 
through grace that it should lead you to be someone who lives peaceably with all as long as it is up to you. So, so I'll ask you a question. Are you a person who is a peacemaker or are you a peace breaker in your home, in your relationships, in the, the circle of influence that you have with your neighbors? Uh, this hits home for many of us. The next one is pretty straightforward, and that is those who have been forgiven, they forgive. This is what Jesus taught. Forgiveness is an essential ingredient to any and all relationships. And some of you say, amen. And the reason why we say that is because people let us down. We disappoint one another. We hurt one another. We have to grow in our capacity to extend forgiveness to other people. Jesus was bluntly asked by Peter, how many times do I have to forgive someone who's sinned against me? And Jesus's response was 70 times seven, an immeasurable amount. But we are people who like to keep record of wrongs. We like to remember those things that people have done to hurt us. I, uh, I shared this story, I share it um, cautiously, but in my family, uh, in my extended family, I have a family member who... Uh, was so wounded and was so bitter and allowed unforgiveness to become so rooted in her life that when she died, she left notes for people to find telling them how disappointed she was in them, how much they hurt her. And, and you read this story. She was a person who'd been exposed to the truth of the gospel, God's forgiveness in her life. But, but yet she was so bitter inside that it led her to cause harm and to hurt. She, she misunderstood what it means to forgive. It wasn't manifested in her life. And I think that for each one of us, that's a temptation for us. And so we are given the privilege to let go the poison of unforgiveness. It says this in Ephesians chapter 4, 31 and 32, such a great verse. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's the, the model for us, that we are people who are quick to forgive, that we are sensitive, that some of you will remember Lois Miles' beautiful testimony that she shared. In fact, several of you have shared with me when she shared that, that testimony that it changed your life. Like some of you, you said that she communicated her testimony in a way that you could see tangibly that she'd experienced the forgiveness of God in such a way that allowed her to extend forgiveness to two people in her life that had caused great pain. And what was left behind was a, a tangible joy. And I, I just pray that for you. If you're a person who's here that is struggling with knowing how to forgive, I just want to encourage you to learn what it means to set others free as you accept the forgiveness that God offers to us. The next one, we illustrated with a toothpaste tube and recognize that words are powerful. They are uh, meaningful. In fact, words uh, are very difficult to get back once you give them, right? Uh, you, once you express a word, um, in the book of James, it's described as being like a, a rudder on a ship. Um, it can cause great pain, but also can cause great good as well. It's impactful. And we recognize that, that words uh, are important. We say that I asked many of you to share with each other uh, a compliment that someone had shared that was meaningful to you or that encouraged you. And actually, many of you have shared with me something that someone said 
For some of you, like me, some 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, sometimes it was someone who was close to you, sometimes it was someone distant from you, but they used words that had an impact on your life for positive. We reject the statement that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. We recognize that words uh, can have a huge impact on the way a person lives, but they can also be used for good. And one of the challenges that I've given you is to speak all the good that you see in others. That's not manipulation, it's observation. And I think when you do that, you will see your relationships grow. Uh, it says this in Luke chapter 6, 45. It says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produce, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, a mouth, his mouth speaks in other words, uh, words reflect something that's happening inside of us. And if what we're communicating is negative or hurtful or damaging, it, it increases the influence that they can have. But if they're kind and generous and thoughtful, they can be incredibly helpful. Remember, I challenge you to consider your love languages to make sure that you're communicating in a way that others are hearing it. We recognize that words can hurt, that words can heal, and that we cannot take them back. And so, so I'm going to ask you this morning, we're almost done, but I want to ask you to consider this. Are you using words well? Are you using words to heal the relationships in your life? Are you using words to cause harm to other people? Uh, the final thing we talked about last week was to help your relationships to thrive by giving them a setting where they can, to um, to love others well by intentionally pursuing others. We looked at Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well in John 4, and we saw him, his commitment to not allow any relationship to be shallow or insignificant. And what we learned from Matthew twenty two thirty five is this statement, you shall, uh, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. I think that requires deliberate pursuit. It requires us to take the initiative and I think that that allows us, it helps us to understand what God wants of us. So the question I'll ask you this morning is a simple one. What are you waiting for? What excuses are you using? Are you afraid to invest? Does it not seem like a good investment? Are you putting it off? Are you procrastinating and hoping someday to reap the benefits of that investment? I think God asks of more of that from us, that he asks us as we began this morning in John, 1 John 4, 11, if God so loved us, we ought to be people who love one another. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward, and I'm going to ask you to ask yourself this question about your relationships. Are they thriving? If they're not, what does it take for you to nurture them and invest in them in such a way to allow them to thrive? And I'll just challenge you, as we talk about taking the initiative, I want to quote the great theologian Wayne Gretzky, and uh, I, want to, I want you to hear this statement. He says, you miss 100% of the shots that you never take, right? Uh, let's pray together. Father God, we recognize that you have asked us to be a people who invest in what is precious to you. And I want to pray for each and every person that's here, regardless of their age, uh, regardless of their life experience, that uh, regardless of mistakes maybe that they've made in their life, that, uh, that you would give them a vision right now of what it might look like for their relationships to grow healthier, whether it's broken marriages or uh, relational conflicts that are in the home or whether it's 
at work or neighbors, whatever it is, Lord, would you give them an image of a way to see those uh, move from being disrupted or destructive to, to being healed? I also pray, Lord, for the example you give us in your word of loving us in spite of ourselves, that your grace is the foundation for your loving kindness towards us, and that loving kindness leads us to righteousness. And I just want to pray for each and every person here, those who are hesitant to, uh, to take the next steps, whether it's to pursue intentional community here at Hope Church, um, whether it's to, to move into leadership or to take a step further in their investment in the life of other people. God, I just pray for them that you would not allow them to be content with procrastinating or to avoiding, uh, but instead that you'd give them a vision of the potential that their most important relationships have the potential of being. We love you. I thank you for your word. Um, I thank you for the opportunity for us to worship you together. And I pray, God, that you'd be exalted as we respond to your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's close in worship.